Hallelujah, He is risen. Hallelujah. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, a very important, somewhat central aspect of Lutheran Christianity is the realization of the complementary yet opposed ideas of law and gospel. Perhaps you've heard me or other pastors use those words, law, gospel. Certainly you've heard them individually, but hopefully you've heard them together as well, because they go together. They depend on each other. This distinction of law and gospel, as many of you have heard, as as you've been through the Lutheranism class with me and other things, is law and gospel revolutionized my reading and understanding of Holy Scripture. To me, it, along with the return of the free gospel, is one of the greatest gifts that Luther delivered to the church. The law is not, as some would assume, the Old Testament. Though the Old Testament contains the Ten Commandments and many of the laws of God, when we talk about the law, we're not talking about the Old Testament. The New Testament also is not the Gospel, even though the first four books of the New Testament are called, collectively, the Gospels. Instead, think of law and gospel as a way of dissecting what a book of the Bible, a a chapter, a verse, what it's teaching. So as you read Scripture, you can ask yourself, is it putting forth law or gospel? Sometimes it's both. In order to distinguish law and gospel, though, I suppose it would be good for us to Understand what we mean when we say law and gospel. Many of you are very familiar with it. Some of you maybe not. But simply put, when we talk about the law, well, it's meant to kill us. Spiritually, but eventually, even physically, if we do not heed it. It is, in a way, a return to the Garden of Eden before the fall. So it's not all bad. The law is actually good. David, in the Psalms, says, I delight in your law day and night. The law tells us how you and I are supposed to be, how we're supposed to think, how we're supposed to act. That is the purpose of the law. It shows us what perfection looks like. So it's not bad. It's good. But the law says to us, do this or don't do that but it doesn't help us do any of it. It simply barks out orders like a, like a drill sergeant and expects us to jump. But instead we fall and fail and, and as lawbreakers, those who have broke the law, we deserve the punishment for our failure to live up to God's standard. And that's exactly what the law is, God's standard. In Scripture, when you read Scripture, sometimes the law is hard to distinguish, but often tells us to do something or shows us the consequences for not doing what we're supposed to. That's, I guess, the easiest way to find the law when reading Scripture. 
where the law then puts us to death, which is not a bad thing, our old sinful self needs to be put to death repeatedly, where the law puts us to death, killing our pride and our self-reliance, the gospel brings new life. It's a, it's a death and a resurrection. Death and resurrection. The law kills. The gospel can breathe in new life. And this is a beautiful distinction. The law kills us, and in the gospel we're resurrected and set free. That's the gospel. What the law demands of you has already been accomplished on your behalf. So where the, God, where the, law, where the law condemns us, the gospel relieves us. Where the law burdens us, the gospel sets us free. Because we can't keep the law. If we could keep the law, we wouldn't need the gospel. But because we can't keep the law, we need Christ. We need the gospel. So it's all thanks to Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who fulfilled the law without sin and paid the price for our sin by submitting to the consequences of sin, death. For the wages of sin is death. The law kills, the gospel makes alive. The law says do this, the gospel says Jesus has already done it. The law says be holy. The gospel says Christ is holy, was holy in your place. The law says you deserve death for breaking the law. The gospel says the penalty was paid for by your Lord and Savior. The law condemns us. The gospel sets us free. The law crushes and kills us. The gospel brings us new life. Law, gospel, two sides of the same coin. We can't have one without the other. Without the law, we would not know our need for the Savior. We only know we need the Savior thanks to the law. Yet without the gospel, we would be crushed in our iniquities and our sin. There would be no escape, no out, no help. Long gospel, beautiful, yes? Really is. And if you don't understand it, I would, I would encourage you to talk with me or study it some more because it really does help to unlock Scripture and our God and His love for us. But I bring all this up today, long introduction, but I think it's really helpful law and gospel in understanding what is going on in our gospel reading today because it's difficult and confusing and well I just think it helps because Jesus gives us a commandment but the commandment Jesus gives to us doesn't necessarily sound like law to most of us love one another that sounds like pure gospel, doesn't it? Love. I mean, it sounds really good and gospel-y, if that's a word. 
I mean, it has the word love in it after all. It must be gospel, right? But it's not. It is pure law. Because love is something we are not good at. Unless, of course, it's love of self. At that, we excel greatly. And this is why Jesus gives to us what has been come to be known as the golden rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, admit it. You love yourself a lot, don't you? And it's not possible to love really anyone else that much. I remember on my senior trip in high school, we went to Cozumel, Mexico. The only time I've ever been out of the country. They won't let me out anymore. <laughs> but we went on a, on, a, on a snorkeling trip in the ocean. And uh, so a lot of us, was our first time being in the ocean. My best friend, one of my best friends, as we got out, his, his flipper came off. So he was trying to put it back on. And, and guess how he was trying to put it back on? He was already in the water. And I was nearby. And so it was... And I'm over here. I don't even have my snorkel on yet. Drowning. Scuba divers, rescue scuba divers will tell you that it's really difficult to rescue a conscious person because they will struggle and they will fight. This is why they often drag them from behind. Because we love ourselves. We will preserve ourselves. We will fight to live. It's not really possible in most cases to love other people that much. This is why marriage today is such a devastating relationship in our culture. We always put ourselves first and the other person second. For a successful marriage, your spouse has to be, at the very least, receiving the same amount of love you have for yourself. But in our self-serving, me-centered, instant gratification, my way, right away, remember the Burger King motto, world, doing that is beyond hard. It's difficult. It's much easier to demand that our spouse serves us, and then when we don't get what we want, we take our ball and we go home. Well, in marriage, you are home, more than likely. So what do you do? Well, you take what you deserve from the marriage, divorce, and go on to someone else who might give you what you want. This is how our culture, even in the church, views marriage. This is sad. But it is a clear example of how broken, selfish, and sinful that we are. We don't like sacrifice unless, of course, it's someone else doing a sacrifice for us. Perhaps this is why Jesus gives us this commandment, love one another. Because without the command, we wouldn't do it. So he tells us, love one another. But instead of giving us the golden rule here, love others as you would want them to love you, 
which we've already said is impossible. Instead, he gives to us this. Love one another as I have loved you. Oh my. It's as if he's doubling down on the impossible. If I can't even love other people the way I love myself, how in the world am I going to love other people the way God loves me? Love as He loves. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Goodness gracious. I mean, this hits me right in the old Adam. It kicks my sinful self right in the shin. Gut punches my pride. Takes the wind out of my self-centered self. And does serious injury to the incarvatus and say, Look around at the people around you this morning. Look at your spouse if your spouse is here. Look at your children. Look at your parents. Look at your pastor. Do you love them enough to die for them? Would you do it right now? See how hard it is? Sure, we might die for our parents or our children, but what about the person across the room? You are a failure, and the law condemns you. If only we lived in a world where each of us were willing to give our life for one another. But alas, my sinfulness makes it so hard. Perhaps there is someone in the room this morning who you would give your life to save. Perhaps there are some who would not only not give our lives, but we wouldn't even give them the time of day. I hope that's not the case here this morning, but I think we can all think of people in our lives where that is the case. I wouldn't even give them the time of day, let alone my life. You are a failure. And the law condemns you. You see how the law works now? It kills us. It crushes us. It causes us to examine ourselves and see how broken we really are. How selfish we really are. And then it causes us, hopefully, to look outside of ourselves for help. It causes us to yield our pride and to take up humility. It causes us to see that we don't live up to the standard that God demands of His people, of His creation, and especially His children. You are a failure. And the law condemns you. 
On your own, you are a failure. Ouch. You remember last week's message? Abide in the vine. Well, our reading today comes right after that reading. And Jesus again tells us today, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Not your love. He says, my love. Then he goes on to say, No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. If you really stop to think about that, that is so wonderful. Servants just do what they're told. They don't have to know the end game or the plan. They just do what the master tells them to do. They are subjects to the law. Do this, do that. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. But I've called you friends. A friend. Many of us would do things for our friends though we wouldn't do for a stranger. Why? Because we have a relationship with our friend. We have loved and been loved. We have shared laughs and tears. We built trust and mutual respect. You take all those things away, respect, love, have an enemy (laughs) but a friend a friend we're more likely to sacrifice for Jesus says you are his friend he is willing to lay down his life for you he asks you to do that for one another to, to be friends Friends aren't compelled to do things because of the law. They do it out of love. I love you, so let me do this for you. I care for you, let me do this for you. If you love your spouse, you will sacrifice for them. Ephesians chapter 5 has St. Paul telling husbands to do just that. So wives, close your ears for just a second. Just kidding. He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Jesus loves his wife, the church. And the church is you. And he laid down his life for his wife, for his friends. And so we do good works. Not compelled by the law which condemns us if we do not do them, if we do not comply. But we do good works compelled by the gospel that has set us free. We are connected to the vine. We are cleansed, pruned, cared for, and given all that we need so that we may produce fruit and supply the needs of our friends. 
Why? Well, if you were to continue past our reading, in like the very next verse, Jesus tells us why. Because the world hates you. Because the world hates you. The freedom and acceptance of God, the, the love and grace of the gospel, the mercy and forgiveness of Christ, the comfort and gifts of the Holy Spirit are an affront to the hate, hurt, and self selfishness, self-reliance of a fallen and tormented world. They're more like my friend <laughs> who would rather take us down to save themselves. But you friends of Christ, love as He loved. Love one another. As Christians, we are brothers and sisters. We are friends. We should probably treat each other like that. Bear each other's burdens. Not because the law demands it, because that is what people do who love one another. Freely you have received, freely give. Amen. And now may the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.